Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swalbrick and this month we're doing things a little differently. I sat down with club management team member and Mito nerd David Faithful for a half hour chat about the new Stella large platform that will underpin the replacements for the Giulia and Stelvio. And by the time we'd finished, we had over an hour of material. So we've split it into two roughly half hour long episodes, which we've made available at the same time. So if you listen on your drive to work or simply don't want to listen to the two of us waffling on for an hour, you can listen to the two episodes separately. Or if you're a glutton for punishment with nothing better to do, you can listen to them back to back. The first part is really about the benefits of platform sharing and the history of platform sharing at Alfa Romeo up to the Tonale. And episode 91 will cover the upcoming Milano and the Stella Large announcement. They should make sense as a pair or separately, or at least they should make as much sense individually as they do together. So, on with the show. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Guy. So the first thing we should do is, is give apologies. It sounds like it's a formal meeting, but we were hoping to have Jamie Porter, magazine regular and owner of the Alpha Workshop with us. Um, but Jamie, unfortunately, has COVID. So, uh, so get well soon, Jamie. Yes, best wishes from us both. Yeah. So without Jamie's expertise, uh, we're now going <laughs> to have a conversation about platform sharing and ultimately about the recent announcement of the, the Stellar Large platform which is what will underpin the new Julia and Stelvio. We're going to take a slightly long-winded route to get there, just to, to give a little bit of context. So I, I guess you could argue, I think the first Alpha, not Alpha Romeo, back in 1910, came from the factory with a body on. But pretty much all of the pre-war cars were, were just built and sold by Alfa Romeo as a platform with an engine. Yeah, I mean, you used to be able to order and buy chassis, plus or minus suspension, plus or minus engine, tailored engine, and so on. And then you, it was quite normal to go to a coach builder of your choice. And, and that was, you know, how you configured a car back there. And it was the same with the racing cars as well. It wasn't, a, you didn't go into a showroom and buy a fully fledged, fully prepared racing car. You bought the chassis, you bought the engine, you built or bought the suspension, and then a coach builder or a motorsport team built you the body for it. So, I mean, platform sharing, I suppose, depends how far you want to go back, but certainly platform buying, platform sharing, engine sharing, has been around since the beginning of time, really, certainly from the almost very beginnings of Alfa Romeo. Yeah, and certainly, you know, there's a sense that there's a difference between platform sharing, you know, almost you know, it's okay for Alfa to platform share with another Italian brand, whether it's Maserati or Fiat or whoever, but it's a bit beyond the pale to do that with a non-Italian brand. But I think there were there were quite a few James Young-bodied Alfa Romeo, so there were actually... There were, yeah. English Alfa Romeos. And they're, and they're some of the most expensive ones to acquire now yeah. into your collection. So, yeah. They were nine to my collection. Yeah, your collection, obviously. <laughs> I don't have storage room. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I think I've got a feeling that. People tend to, and I don't want to, I don't want to belittle, belittle what people say. This might just be a thing that's become common on social media. But you know, you you see a picture of a uh, of the new Milano or a, a Tonale, and they say, "Oh, that's just a Peugeot," or "That's just a, you know, whatever it is." And and of course, when we talk about platform share, we're talking about the platform. Frankly, the bits you can't see, everything underneath. Manufacturers rarely. 
even if they're part of the same group as as many manufacturers are within Stellantis, they're really sharing body panels or you know dashboards or headlinings. And and you know when you look at many of the cars that have had platform sharing, they have completely different bodies, completely different interiors, completely different electronics and electrics, completely different you know design styles, and also they uh, Alfa Romeo in particular basically <laughs> sort of make any adjustments, fundamental changes or redesigns of that shared platform. And that's, yeah. that's been common over the decades as well. So it's not like they just adopt a platform and don't make any changes. Alpha have never really done that, I don't think. No, we'll talk about a couple of examples of that. I mean, I guess once you get past the coach building era and, and cars become unibody with the, the bodywork welded to a, a one-piece chassis, you get a lot of what I think at the time was was talked about more as sharing the same floor pan rather than platform. So it was literally the the floor and the sills and maybe some bulkheads, but not much more than that. But even with mm-hmm. the, the scope of that, if you think about the 105, you, know, the, you had the original Julia Saloon as, as made famous by um, the Italian job. You had all the, the Tony Coupes, four generations of Spider, the Berlina, the J- GTA... Junior Zagato, Montreal, all sharing the same fundamental floor pan. Yeah. But there's not much in common between a Montreal and a Julia Saloon. No. But it does have the advantage, and people tend to forget this, that we sort of live in a world where we love all the old alphas and we sort of question all the new the new direction and EVs and so on. And I, I do understand why we're we're stuck in our ways like that. But there's a huge advantage of the platform sharing of some of those fundamental mechanical items that a part that fits a 105 Spider will possibly also fit, you know, a 1750 GT Veloce. There's a lot of interchangeable parts yep. that in future is beneficial from platform sharing. So although we sort of you know, we make a big noise about, oh, I'm not sure that we should be sharing a platform with a Peugeot. Well, actually, and, you know, I hate to dive straight into the Mito. The Mito has a shared platform with many other models. It has fundamental differences, but it does mean if I can't find a certain part, chances are I could find one for a Jeep Renegade or a Fiat 500L or, God forbid, you know, a Corsa D, and it would probably bolt onto my Mito. So yeah. there are, there are as time progresses and as cars get older, there are some significant advantages in terms of maintenance of a car with that platform sharing as well. And we shouldn't really overlook that, I don't think. And that goes back a long way. It's, it's definitely been incredibly useful for 105 owners. And 75 and Alfetta owners to a certain degree. And I even managed to source a couple of bits for my Alpha Sud Sprint from Nissan dealers because they were the same as they were on the Arna and the Cherry Europe. No, and we'll come back to the Mito because I think there's there's been a couple of sort of milestones. There's been lots of platform sharing, as we've said, from the 101 and the 105 onwards. But I think there's been a couple of distinct changes. So the, the first one I wanted to talk about was the 164. And I think yeah. what's significant about the 164 in, in Alpha's platform sharing history is it was the first time, although they'd manufactured Renaults in Italy, um, it was the first time there'd been a situation where Alpha had collaborated with other manufacturers to build a car on a common platform. So the Lancia mm-hmm. Tamer, Fiat Chroma, Saab 9000 and the 164 were nominally the same platform. And I know that's not strictly true because the Arna, which we've already mentioned, was a collaboration with Nissan. But the scale of the Tipo Quattro project across three manufacturers and four brands was new to Alpha, relatively new to the industry and and absolutely the shape of things to come. 
But as you hinted earlier, I think one of the things that's fascinating about that project is the Alpha engineers, having been committed by the kind of senior management of the business, wholeheartedly went into the project and said, I don't really like that, and mm-hmm. changed the the suspension setup. The front suspension is completely different. It was the only one of the four, I think, that didn't use exactly the same doors as the other three. Even the floor pan's not exactly the same. No. You did get some of that part sharing benefit that you talked about and it was probably slightly cheaper than developing the whole thing from scratch but there really isn't very much in common between a a Saab 9000 and a 164 or even a Chroma and a Tamer and a 164 no and and to be to be fair it wasn't just Alfa you know both Alfa Romeo and Saab had a bit of a thing about completely re-engineering and reinventing the wheel regardless of cost and regardless of whether they'd then retrieve or recover any of that any of that money and I, and i think both have suffered over the decades yeah. of that kind of approach that's that's for sure but yeah if you if you look both at and underneath a 164 there's not a lot of fiat chroma or lancia in there there's a there's a bit of saab but not very much i mean it, it they sort of took platform sharing to the opposite of extreme, whatever that word is, i.e. Yeah. let's share a platform and now let's completely reconfigure it, redesign it and change it fundamentally regardless of cost because we can. So, yeah, there's, it's fine in theory. There's four cars there and they're all four, you know, the Saab 9000, I don't want to sort of, you know, go off track. I've probably done half a million miles in Saab 9000s. They were absolutely brilliant cars for what they were designed to be. The Lancia Thema, I thought was a fabulous car. I've never, ever driven a Fiat Chrome, I have to confess. I, I had one comment. I had one as a courtesy car when I had a, an Alfa in for a service at the now departed black and white garage in Newbury. Oh, yeah. And I remember taking it back and, and the guy asked what I thought of it and I, I said it was loose. <laughs> I mean, pretty, pretty much all of it was was falling apart but yeah it yeah it's a high mileage old i was gonna say um, lone car. car yeah so but anyway so i have driven a, a number of 164s v6 and twin sparks and i've i've owned and driven a lot of saabs but they are fundamentally different cars i mean you know we talk about platform sharing and in the social media world we just say oh it's a peugeot or oh this or oh that but i mean those cars are fundamentally different and i, and I suspect 99 percent of all people have no clue that those four cars have got anything in common yeah and as you say in terms of the 164 they don't have a lot in common with the other cars we sometimes forget how old we are 99 percent of people wouldn't even know what those four cars were yes that's probably but of the people who know about those four cars yeah uh, a very small proportion would know they're on a platform (laughs) share other than the nerdy car people like us yeah so then there's another switch i think with the 155 and there's a lot of people with a a real soft spot for the 155 now and i think part of that is is through the motor racing heritage yeah i had one i i really like mine but i think the the big difference with the 155 was there was a lot more tipo tempera dedra in the 155 than you know there had been evidence of platform sharing in the 164 the body obviously completely different different engines yeah but in terms of the way everything was set up it felt like it was a lot more constrained by having been built on the same platform. Well, it was probably, I'll have to check my history actually, but it was probably a reflection of the financial stability or position of Alfa Romeo at the time as well, wasn't it? And Fiat. Yeah. My guess is that, you know, much as they may have liked to have done their 
usual completely starting afresh with their own designs they probably just wasn't the money there wasn't the available funding to do that and and they probably you know if i were one of the designers or one of the engineers back then i would probably have felt i was compromised however i mean the end result was still a brilliant car the dead room it was and, car, you know? and they went back and and uncompromised it a bit with the wide body version yeah. later on so they, they they kind of did get the opportunity to to alpharize it a bit more later in its life and i suppose that's the th- maybe i'm jumping ahead here but i for me i've got no issue with platform sharing and I think there's enormous numbers of benefits and they can create absolutely brilliant cars. And I'm not, I'm not in the camp of, uh, and perhaps, perhaps this is perhaps I'm the wrong person to have on this call. Perhaps Jamie would have put me in my place, but there have been a number of absolutely brilliant cars, not just Alfa and not just Italian that are the result of platform sharing. They're still absolutely wonderful machines and beautiful designs and so on. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what we were trying to achieve with this podcast, but I'm certainly not in a place where I think it's a bad thing and here's our argument for or against. You're right that it's it's not a an alpha thing. I think I read somewhere earlier on that the the VW MQB platform has something like 27 different vehicles that have been built on it. <laughs> right. The Tiguan to the say a, a Tecca to the Audi Q3 and you know Audi A3 and pretty much everything in between, say at Leon, all built fundamentally from the the same platform with a huge variation in the in the type of vehicle. And that was kind of where I was going next in the the Alpha chronology was to talk about the Mito. Just to touch on on your point there about VW though, VW can go to market in a matter of months, whereas Alpha and we're we're all we all complain about this. We have to die of old age over years and years and years before the next new alpha model comes out. And fundamentally and historically, a lot of that is to do with they start all over again with, you know, designing a car from the ground up. Whereas the concept of platform sharing not only gives you those economies of scales and reduced development costs and so on, but it's such a faster time to market. So those 30 or 40 cars that VW have have launched over the last 20 years, all basically on the same platform, they're so much faster to market and if and if we as it looks like Stellantis are now got much smarter with configurable and usable platforms across multiple different types of vehicles then our time to market just gets shorter and shorter and then that's another world from where we've been for decades with Alfa much as we love Alfa Romeo I am a little bit bored of waiting for the next model and we've just spent years and years waiting for the next model and then you know in 2015 Julia comes out and we all you know we're in delight but it's it's been donkey's years since 2015 hasn't it so you know it's it's a slow process if you're not able to quickly get to market on the basis of a you know a shared and configurable platform that's almost good to go yeah and i think two two follow-on points on that one is you talked about the the buzz on social media about whether platform sharing is a, a good or a bad thing it's often the same people who bemoan how long it takes alpha to get a, a model out and the, the limited number of models in the range who are then also anti platform sharing which is the yeah. the best way to fix that the other yeah. thing that i think is worth bearing in mind is if you look at the the opal range or if you want to nail a budgie on the front of it the Vauxhall range since peugeot took over 
Stellantis as is now in 2017, they've replaced the entire range. Yeah. Every, every single product is a new product mm. based on a different platform uh, to the platforms they were based on seven years ago. Six, well, and, six years ago, realistically. And I have to say, uh, you'll hate this, the new Opals, Vauxhalls, they are getting very, very good reviews. You know, they are they are not what you and I might call a driver's car. But my God, if we could sell, you know, 10% of the volumes of some of the Vauxhalls and Opals across Europe, then Alfa Romeo his finances would be in a tremendously better place. So yeah, and I've heard good things about some of them. I have to say, I had a granddad, Grandland, as a as a hire car when my Tonale was in, having some work done on it. And that was execrable. It was one of the worst cars I've driven in the last 20 years. But yeah, that's, that's a bit of an aside. Yep. So so back to the Mito. So Mito... At last. Yes. <laughs> officially the GM Fiat small platform, was it? Yep. Small common components shared platform, which was a, a co-development with GM and Alfa Romeo. But it was developed in Italy and it was... It was a combination of German and Italian teams developing it. So, yes, I think the SCCS platform, as it's known, uh, that formed the basis for an enormous volume of cars over about, I believe, not just Not just cars as well. Not just cars, no. Cars and com- light commercial vehicles. Yeah, so we had, obviously, the Fiat's. Uh, Fiat Punto Evo, Alfa Romeo Mito, but you also had things like Vauxhall Adam. It's, look, it's an... It's an Opal, Adam. There was, there was never anybody called Adam Vauxhall. Okay, okay. Yeah, we had the uh, Fiorino, Fiat Kubo, Citroen Nemo, Peugeot Viper, to name but a few. <laughs> they are basically on the same floor plan, uh, with a number of changes, obviously. But in essence, uh, you could you know strip off all of the top of a Grand Punto or a Corsa D or a Arbath. Punto Evo or a Fiat Cubo, and they'd look pretty similar underneath. They are they are basically the same underlying platform, but Alpha like like always they they made numerous changes for the for the Alpha Romeo. But it's a it's a robust platform and has been used, reused, and enhanced and changed and widened and made four-wheel drive over the years. And it's basically lasted about 15 years. It's a really good example, let's say, of how platform sharing can enable different manufacturers, either within partnership or part of the same group, to get to market, to get economies of scale, to save production costs, to share power plants and, and all that malarkey. So, yeah, I think the Mito is, it's a very small, you know, how many Mitos are made? 263,000. That's tiny compared to courses or even the light commercial vehicles and tiny compared to the Punto Evo. But yeah, I think it's a really good example of how a shared platform can benefit all parties and still produce fabulous little cars, to be honest. Yeah, and I just for balance, oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to give an example of a, 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 a probably the the best example of platform sharing not working. <laughs> Go on. The 939 platform, so the GM Fiat Premium platform, as as it was officially known. So that's mm. a platform that was actually effectively designed and engineered by Saab, and Saab then didn't have the money to build anything on it. Alpha took it and, and re-engineered large chunks of it and used it in the 159, the Brera and the Spider. And it was it was also supposed to be used as the replacement for the, the Insignia chassis for Opel and Vauxhall and for some US 
um, kind of mid-size to large saloons. But because of its Saab origins and its its alpha re-engineering, GM didn't use it because it was it was too expensive for them to use. So so a, a platform that is officially the GM Fiat premium platform was never used by GM or Fiat and was only ever used for for three production cars and a couple of concepts. So it was used for the Opel Insignia concept, but not for the production version. It, it was, was used. Sorry, I was just going to say it was <laughs> it was quite big, wasn't it? It was yes, uh, and it was always intended to be. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the nine five saloon platform was what it was originally designed for, as the replacement for the nine five. Yeah, because it it was around about the time when cars sort of forked. We were busy bimbling along um, where you've got the 939s and, and cars of that ilk, the saloons and hatchbacks and so on. And then it, the sort of the road forked ahead, didn't it? There, a lot of cars went much smaller and then you went off down the SUV uh, leg. Yeah. And, and and it seemed at that time, oh, hang on, what's happened? Every other damn car is an SUV or a tiny city car. And that platform was sort of almost, it, it, the timing of it felt a bit late with where the markets went, I think. The size is largely because the premium platform was originally designed to be the platform for the 166, which didn't happen. So it was pressed into service for the 159 to avoid what would have been a phenomenal waste of money. And of course, ironically, Alpha almost walked the same way. The um, the Kamal, the SUV concept um, that was shown at Geneva in 2003. Designed by the Mito designer. And used the 939 platform. So that was a um, oh, did it? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was a premium uh, platform vehicle. So it was kind of built to do that, mm. but ended up ironically being used on a, I, I guess, a relatively long wheelbase coupe and a, a large-ish Spider and mm. and the one five nine and one five nine sport wagon. So um, didn't really n- nobody got the benefit of platform sharing. I guess the only benefit that Alpha got from platform sharing was that Saab probably carried a lot of the development costs. But there was never any economies of scale from that, which was then made worse by the fact that it was killed early for a variety of reasons. Mm. So it was really only current from 2005 for the 159 through to 2010, 2011. So it's very short life for a, for a platform. It's not, not outrageously short for an individual model, but to only be used for one range for six or seven years is... Is the antithesis of why you platform share. Yeah, yeah. I imagine every nine three nine sold probably lost out for money. They probably wouldn't confess to that, but well, of course they were, they were quite expensive to build because they were all built by Pininfarina rather than mm. oh, the Brera and the Spider, where the one five nines went. Yeah. So yeah, I, I suspect you're right. The other thing that just really briefly, because I'm absolutely no expert in this, uh, one of the key things with the the small platform was consistency in, in levels of safety. And I don't propose we go into that in any depth because I, I bet neither of us know much about it or care very much. But <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, with a small platform, that was the first in most of those categories of cars that got the five-star Euro NCAP. And an awful lot of that was the design of the chassis with the crumpling of, of the chassis legs and so on, which was all, yeah. you know, I, th- I think there is an argument, though I don't know enough to make the argument, that the platform sharing enables all continental safety regulations to be met with one single platform without having to redesign it for each market and so forth. Yeah. So I know that was the case with the small platform the Mito used. It was probably the case with that um, premium platform 
platform for the 939s, and and I know it's the case for Julia and Stelvio platforms as well. Well, and I, and I guess even if you even if you have to test all the models individually, going into those tests, knowing how they're going to perform, because they're going to perform the same way as the last one. Yeah, it, it would be an advantage in itself, and, and a cost saving, and economies of scale, and time to market, and all those good things that uh, we've blathered on about. Yeah. So I guess if if Alpha benefited from Saab platform sharing with the the 939. The one that's kind of gone the other way um, is the the all alpha Skunk Works developed Giorgio platform, mm. which for quite a long time was only only used in the the Julia and Stelvio to great acclaim, which is now finding its way as a kind of filler, I guess, really until Stella Large appears. But it's now finding its way into all sorts of other cars as well in in other Stellantis brands. Mm. So we've got uh, two Grand Cherokees, including the the Grand Cherokee L, which is enormous, um, and the Gracale and the Gran Turismo from Maserati, including, ironically, full EV versions. Yeah, that's that that interests me because I remember some years ago there was an announcement that says, "Oh, we're binning off the Giorgio platform. We're going all in with the Stellantis platforms, Stella platforms." And it was because it couldn't be electrified. And then here we are a few years later. Oh, we've managed to electrify it. There you go. So I do think there's, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of the decision making that Stellantis took, but it does feel like they haven't quite got the big return on the investment of the Giorgio platform that they might have done had they you know, investigated whether they could in essence, transition Giorgio into what has become the Stellantis Large platform, it felt a bit like they started again with a clean sheet of paper, which doesn't yeah. feel like it was a good use of investment. But, I mean, maybe there were other limitations that we just don't know about with that Giorgio platform. I don't know how different the Giorgio platform is underpinning the Grand Cherokee, but, I mean, that's a, that's an E-segment vehicle rather than a D-segment vehicle, so it is it is bigger. But whether all of that comes from overhang and, you know, just the, the Cherokee being a bigger car, Mm. But I suspect by the end of Giorgio's life, by far the biggest number of vehicles built on the Giorgio platform will end up having been Jeeps, just because that's a you know it's a US yeah. market vehicle that's been built in Detroit. The creation of the Giorgio platform, though, I mean, I I have to uh, I forgive my ignorance of the history, but I do remember it was a bit of a sort of Marchioni laying down the law and saying, "Build me an incredible car for Alfa Romeo," and. And it was the same with the engineer, the engine, certainly, with the Ferrari collaboration. It, it, that that term you used of skunk works, they probably didn't really care anything at all about future reuse or, or no, re-platforming. No. It was all about get a brilliant car out and let's show the world what we can do. And that does, as I remember, that was kind of the Marchioni, you know, instruction, build something incredible, uh, which they did. But yeah. yeah, probably not a lot of thought was was put into reusability or certainly electrification in the future. Well, you say that. I, I've had a conversation with Jamie. And it's, it's a shame he's not here to have this bit of the conversation. But Jamie uh, told me that when the EPA documents, documents isn't the right word. For those of you who don't know, EPA is Fiat's electronic workshop manual system. The EPA module for the Julia first came out when the Julia was launched. There was all of the component plans and all of the the maintenance instructions for a hybrid version of the Julia. Mm, interesting. But it only, as far as I can tell, it only ever existed in EPA. It never... <laughs> Got a bit it, ahead it, of themselves, obviously. Yeah. So three three more things I want to talk about, really. The next one's Tonale. Um, and we talked about the fact that Tonale is ultimately Mito-derived, although it's the wide, long, four-wheel drive version of the, the platform, which is, I think, 
uh, barely recognizable from the original Mito platform. But you, you yeah. hear an awful lot of people, and this is a general thing about platform sharing, who describe the, the Tonale as being based on the Jeep Compass. Mm. And I've, I've had you know, a number of conversations with people from the factory and elsewhere. And chronologically, the Compass was around for a while before the Tonale came along. There is there were changes to the platform that were made for the Compass, which have been rolled over into Tonale. But there is a, a real difference, and I, we've, we've kind of talked about it a couple of times, <clears throat> between platform sharing and badge engineering. Yeah. So to, um, to me, and part of this is my longstanding personal bias, but to me, the Vauxhall and Opal is badge engineering. Yeah, there might be some, there might be some minor trim differences as well as the badge, but they are fundamentally the same cars with the steering wheel on the wrong side. Although the steering wheel is on the same side as an Irish market Opal, so that even that's not the distinction really. But they are the same car. Yeah, it's kind of a exercise rather than an engineering exercise. Yeah, but I mean, to be, I mean, kind of a swear word, but it's it's. It's kind of the same with the Tonali and the Dodge Hornet in the US. That's kind of badge engineering rather than platform. It is. So it's a bit, again, probably slightly more more different, differentiated yeah. um, than the, the Vauxhall and the Opal, but not much. It's a new a new front bumper and a new grill section and a badge. But the, th- the thing with that is, it, well, certainly to my mind, uh, I know a few Americans and some of them are, Dodge through and through, and some are Chrysler through and through, and you know. So there's there's brand allegiance in the US, particularly in muscle cars, but you know, yeah. certainly brand allegiance, rather like you and I have with Alfa Romeo. And so a a a person in North America would never consider buying an Alfa Romeo, but they would absolutely go into the local Dodge dealer and buy a Dodge. And and so you can see the the brand strategy there is economies of scale and cost of developing a new Dodge and marketing to an existing loyal customer base who will only ever buy a Dodge. You know, they've got a Dodge minivan, they've got a Dodge Viper or a Dodge Charger, or, you know, yeah. and they might want an SUV instead of their minivan. Now the kids are growing up, they'll go and buy a Dodge Hornet. They would not set foot in an Alfa Romeo showroom. No. So you can see the logic with that, even though us lot, Alfa Romeo aficionados, uh, think it's horrific. But but I then from an Alfa Romeo perspective, you know, it keeps people busy in Pomigliano because that's where the Hornet's built. Yeah. So I, I think from a, a business perspective, it kind of makes sense all around. You know, because I've sent you some of the this, this stuff through. I've been playing around with Bard today and asking it questions about platform sharing just to see what it came up with. And I asked it two consecutive questions. I asked it whether the Tonale was based on... Uh, the Jeep Compass, and it came back and said, "No, not really. There's some shared components, but it's not really fair to say one's based on the other." Mm. And then I asked it whether the Hornet was based on the Tonale, and it said, "Yeah, absolutely." Yeah. So even even an artificial intelligence can work that one out. And, and I think there's a there's a lot to be said for you know if you if you sit in a Jeep Compass, and I have done, I've not driven one, but I've sat in it. They they are worlds apart from a Tonale, and uh, you can tell without even driving it, it's going to be slow and wallowy and a bit of a nightmare. Uh, and apologies to anyone who, who owns one or loves Jeep as well. We always say that's all we have time for this episode, but this time it's literally true. Episode 91 is available to download now and picks up the story again in the Stellantis parts bin. Next month, we'll be back to normal, and you'll be able to download episode 92 from 1.30pm on Sunday the 3rd of March. From Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Until then, or for the next couple of minutes, if you're going straight into episode 91, stay safe. (laughs) 